0: The longest that I've ever lived in one place in my adult life was when I was in West Carrollton, Ohio. I was the pastor of Memorial United Methodist Church in West Carrollton for almost nine years. I have to throw in that word almost and it still makes me cringe every time I do. Allow me to explain. I was appointed to Memorial on February 1st, 2007. Shortly after I arrived there, I noticed a plaque on the wall in the back of the sanctuary, and on this plaque was engraved the names and dates of service of all of the senior pastors that had ever served that church for its entire history, going back almost 150 years. As I looked over the names and dates, I noticed that most of them were very short-term pastorates. You think that Methodists move their preachers a lot now? Well, back when that church was founded, they moved every year. Uh, And then it was every other year, and then maybe every three years, if you were lucky. Then towards the end, uh, near the second half of of the 20th century, then uh, the the pastorates began to grow a little bit longer. But none of them was longer than eight years. There were two pastors who had been there for eight years. Everyone else had stayed a shorter time than that. So I proudly proclaimed... From the pulpit, I'm going to be here at least nine years. Hmm. well, now you can probably understand why having to say I was there almost nine years causes me some embarrassment. There came a point in time where some personal issues I had not dealt with caught up with me and I had to step away from being a pastor for a while. That happened when I had been pastor of Memorial for eight years and eight months. I almost made it. You know what they say, we declare our plans and God laughs. Perhaps I should have listened to the letter of James. James wrote, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. I suppose that's where the expression comes from, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I should have known from previous experience, too. It was my first appointment in Bowling Green, Ohio. I was getting ready to be ordained. I had been there for five years. I told my district superintendent that I didn't want to move. I wanted to stay in that appointment even after being ordained. She said that I could stay put, that she wouldn't allow anyone to bring my name up for a move. Only a few months later, that same DS called me and asked me to move. In both of those situations, I moved into a very difficult and painful season of my life. Both times, I was moved from a place of comfort where I had close relationships and I was happy doing what I was doing and I would have been perfectly content to stay there indefinitely. I moved from that to situations that I never would have chosen for myself and I didn't want to be in, places that I was not comfortable staying. At times, I felt shipwrecked. Like my life had gone completely off track, I couldn't see how or when or even if it would ever get back on course. But you know, in time, in time I came to see God's hand in all of it. I could look back and say, oh, it wasn't a mistake after all. Now I can see why God put me there. Now I realize it was all for the good because it was all of God. It's hard to feel that way when the ship that you're in is is slamming up against the reef and breaking into pieces and your life is in danger. Sometimes it might be near impossible to feel hopeful when you're in the thickest part of the storm and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. But once God brings you through that storm and you land on the solid ground, and you begin to see that God had something in mind for you all along that you hadn't even imagined for yourself, then you begin to understand that what we see as difficult and painful diversions from our life plan were a part of God's good plan all along. The Apostle Paul had a plan. His plan was to go to Spain. He wanted to be the first to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Spain. He planned to stop off in Rome along the way, visit the church there. His New Testament letter to the Romans is the letter that he wrote to the Christians in Rome as he was preparing to make that trip and making plans for that visit. Paul never made it to Spain. He did make it to Rome, but not in the manner that he had anticipated. He was taken to Rome as a prisoner. You see, while he was in Jerusalem, at the end of his third missionary journey, while he was preparing for his fourth, which he believed would take him through Rome and on into Spain, his plans got diverted. A group of Jewish leaders in the Holy Land rose up against Paul, just as they had done years ago against Jesus and they got the Roman authorities involved just as they had done with Jesus. But unlike Jesus, Paul was a Roman citizen. Once the Roman authorities were involved in his case, Paul was able to use his Roman citizenship to appeal his case to the emperor's tribunal in Rome. Now, a few weeks ago, we read a passage where Paul refused to invoke his Roman citizenship to protect himself from harsh treatment. He didn't want to set himself apart from other Christians by taking advantage of a privilege that they did not share. In this case, however, he's not invoking his citizenship to protect himself. Or at least, he's only protecting himself to the extent that it will get him exactly where he knows God wants him to be. Because God had already told Paul that he was going to witness for Jesus Christ in Rome. Paul knew he was going to Rome because God had already told him so. And furthermore, God had told him that he would testify about Jesus to the highest authorities in Rome. What better way to do that than to appeal his case to the emperor? Paul was born a Roman citizen not to protect him in a way that others weren't protected, but to get him to the place that God wanted him to be. His citizenship was not for his own privileges, but for the working out of God's plan. His arrest in Jerusalem, while it may have diverted Paul from carrying out his plan, was exactly what needed to happen to carry out God's plan for him. We declare our plans, and God laughs. God may well have been laughing when Paul said, I intend to go to Spain. But God had some very serious business for Paul to attend to in Rome. And Paul was resigned to letting God's plan play out for him however was necessary to accomplish God's business. The passage that we heard today from Acts 27 and 28 is about what happened during that voyage to Rome. It turns out that even though Paul was resigned to God's plan, even though he was submitted to going to Rome as a prisoner and preaching the gospel in the emperor's court, it still wasn't a straight and easy journey getting there. There were still some holy diversions along the way such as a crew that didn't listen to Paul's advice, and a hurricane that threatened to kill the whole lot of them. Their passage to Rome had gotten diverted a couple of times along the way. They ended up in a harbor called Fairhaven on an island of Crete late in the season. The trip from Crete to Italy was a long one, sailing that was not safe that late in the year, so Paul suggested that they spend the winter there in Fairhaven and sail to Italy in the spring. He wasn't suggesting that in order to delay the inevitable. Remember, he wanted the inevitable to happen. He wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to state his case before the tribunal. He wanted to preach Christ to the emperor. And he needed to get there alive to do it. But despite his good advice, The crew decided that Fairhaven was no place to spend the winter. They decided instead to sail up the coast to a town called Phoenix, which would be a much more hospitable place to winter. No sooner had they set sail, however, than they were hit with a nor'easter and swept out to sea. The storm was so severe that they had no control over the ship. For two weeks, it tossed about wherever the wind and the waves took it. Luke who is the author of Acts and was with Paul on that voyage, writes, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Everybody was certain the ship would go down and they were all going to die. Everybody, that is, except Paul, Remember, God had already told Paul that he was going to testify in Rome, and Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. Furthermore, in the midst of the storm, an angel came and revealed to Paul that not only would he still get to testify before the emperor, but God was granting safe passage to everyone on that ship. Paul shared that word with the others on board. He admonished them to trust in the Lord. He encouraged them to eat. Our passage for today begins the next morning when they realized that they were close to land. They didn't know it at the time, but it turned out to be the island of Malta, just a little bit south of Sicily, not far from Italy. The thing you need to know about Malta is that it is a tiny island in a vast expanse of sea. If the ship had been driven just a little bit to the north or just a little bit to the south, it would have been blown on past Malta and there was no more land for another 200 miles beyond that. That ship was not going to make it another 200 miles. It would have gone under long before that. A ship tossed about with no one on the rudder for two weeks, no idea which direction they were going, no no way of getting control of the ship, and it just happened to end up finding the one piece of land in the entire area. That wasn't a coincidence. God was guiding that ship to put them right where God wanted them. but all was not well yet. As they tried to make their way into land, they hit a reef, the bow was stuck, the stern was getting torn to pieces, the ship was going down, it was every man for himself. So the soldiers decided it was time to kill all the prisoners. Talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. Good news, you're not gonna drown at sea. Bad news, your execution date has been moved up to right now. It wasn't an unreasonable plan that the soldiers had. They didn't know that this was a tiny island. If this had been the the mainland and the prisoners swam to shore and got away, guess who was going to die then? The soldiers. If they couldn't reasonably guard the prisoners, then killing them was the next best option. But the centurion who was in charge of the mission stopped them from carrying out that plan. He had grown to respect Paul. He knew that Paul could be trusted and that he needed to be saved. So he ordered that everybody, crew, soldiers, prisoners alike, all of them, make for the shore. When they reached the shore, they learned where they were, and they were treated kindly by those who were native to the island. So now all is well, right? But then, as they're making a fire, a poisonous viper jumped out of the wood and latched its fangs into Paul's hand. At that point, Paul had to be going, come on, God, really? But he just shook the thing off into the fire like it was nothing. And it was nothing. Nothing came of it. No swelling, no sickness. Paul was just fine. Have you ever heard the Chinese fable of the lucky farmer? It's a famous story in China about a farmer who owned a horse. The horse was the one thing that he owned that was of real value. It was a healthy and strong horse. He used it every day to plow his fields. One day that horse broke through a fence and ran off into the woods. The neighbors came to console the farmer. They said, we heard that your only horse has run off. What bad luck. The farmer replied, good luck or bad luck, who knows. A few days later, the the farmer's horse returned, bringing along with it another horse that it had picked up along the way. Now he had two horses, and he and his son could do twice as much farming as before. Once again, the neighbors came. They said, we heard your horse is back and another along with it. What good luck? The farmer answered, good luck or bad luck? Who knows? The next day, the farmer's son was out in the fields. He was trying to tame the new horse when the horse threw him to the ground and broke one of his legs. Here come the neighbors. We heard your son's leg is broken. What bad luck? And you know what the farmer said, good luck or bad luck, who knows? A week later, the emperor's soldiers came marching into the village. They declared that they were at war and had come to conscript all of the young men of the village into the army. Seeing that the farmer's son had a broken leg, he was exempted from the war and left at home with his father. The neighbors said to the farmer, your son is the only man of his age still here. What good luck that his leg was broken. Good luck or bad luck, who knows? As I said, it's a Chinese fable. It's meant to show how limited our perspective can be. What we consider good luck or bad luck is often confined by the immediate circumstances. But there's always a bigger picture. What we consider bad might actually be good if only we knew the whole story. As Christians, we know that it's not about luck, it's about grace, it's about blessing, it's about God's providence, God's plan, God's sovereignty over all things. But still, we often take a similar position as the neighbors in the fable. We see someone with popularity and wealth and we say, they must be blessed. Must they? Are they? We see someone struggling, going through great difficulty, and we say, oh, what a poor soul. Perhaps we don't see the whole picture. The same thing gets played out in the story of Paul's shipwreck. The ship gets swept away by a hurricane. Bad luck but it ends up running into a small piece of land right near where they were going. Good luck. But the ship gets torn apart and the soldiers decide to kill the prisoners. Bad luck. But the centurion steps in and everybody makes it to land safely. Good luck. But there, Paul gets attacked by a poisonous viper. Bad luck. But then he throws it off and no harm comes to him. Good luck. When Paul was bitten by the viper, the the natives decided that he must be evil that the viper was sent to dole out his punishment, to take care of what the hurricane and the shipwreck had failed to do. This man must be a murderer, they declared. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Justice to them was a Greek goddess who meted out punishment to those who deserved it. She must have sent this viper to bite Paul because he deserved to die. But then he didn't die. He wasn't harmed in any way, even though such a viper bite would have killed any other man. So then the natives go to the opposite extreme. He must be a god. Their vacillation from one extreme to the other simply reveals how ignorant they really are, how limited their view of what's really going on. Paul is not a god, but he is a messenger of God And he was delivered by God to that very place through all kinds of setbacks and diversions, through all kinds of toils and troubles. It was God who brought him to that island to deliver the good news to those people, the gospel of Jesus Christ by which some of them might be saved. And some of them were saved. We don't know how many, but while Paul was there, he healed many people. He preached the good news. They got to see the power of God at work in him. They got to hear about Jesus and the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. All because of what anyone else would have seen as a diversion from the plan. But Paul experienced it as the providence of God. It can be very trying on us when we have our plans of where we're going to go, what we're going to do, and then those plans get all twisted around. It's especially difficult when we're trying to be faithful and we believe that our plans are going to honor God, like Paul planning to preach the gospel in Spain. But here's the thing. If we are being faithful if we are committed to serving God no matter where he places us and in whatever condition we find ourselves, then sometimes those things that divert us from our original plan are God's way of getting us back on his plan. And we need to remember that no matter what may come, no matter where we may go, God will use us anywhere and everywhere. Would it have been nice for Paul to have gone to Spain? Sure, it would have been great. Paul could have done a lot of good godly work in Spain. But that's not where God wanted him. God needed him to go to Rome, and not as a free man, but as a prisoner, so that he could testify to the highest people in the land. And along the way, God needed him to get shipwrecked on that little island of Malta so that the folks there, too, could witness the miraculous workings of God and the amazing power of Jesus Christ. So the next time your plans get diverted, I know you're going to get frustrated. I always do. But try to take a, a time out from that frustration and ask yourself, could this be one of those divine diversions? Does God perhaps need me to be in this place, in this situation that I wouldn't have chosen for myself? Because if that's where... God wants you. Then why would you want to be anywhere else? Amen.